Welcome to After the Glory on Podclips. The elite athlete knows that his or her time in the spotlight and on a national stage will be no more than a small fraction of a lifetime. What has he done to prepare for the rest of his life? Is she ready to meet the challenges that lie ahead once her playing days are over? Two UCLA graduates from different generations and with an insider's knowledge introduce you to some of the greatest athletes of this or any generation as they talk about life after the glory. Lucy Singh is the founder of Resiliency, offering life and resilience coaching to athletes as they leave behind the field of play. Gary Stern is a Southern California consumer attorney and mediator and a veteran of multiple baseball fantasy camps where he was coached by some of the game's elite players who know what real life is all about once their playing days were over. And now, here's Lucy and Gary. Hello, everybody. We're so excited to have a true pioneer in women's athletics today join us. Ann Myers Drysdale is the first major star in women's basketball who went to a long career in broadcasting and has stayed active in her sport through both the WNBA and NBA. I, I don't know if we need to do any further of an introduction of Annie here. Why don't we just go right into it? And could you tell us about growing up in a large family, a sports-oriented family, and how that's defined who you've become today? I like going right into it. I like that. Uh, <laughs> I am from a family of 11 children. I have five brothers and five sisters. I am in the middle. And my mom and dad are from Milwaukee. They met at Marquette. My dad played basketball there. He was the captain of the 1945 team. And uh, when they got married, they moved out to San Diego, so my dad playing basketball. And um, so the first six of us were born in San Diego, and we, he got a job with Sears. We moved out to Chicago for about eight, nine years. Three more were born out there in Chicago. And uh, we went to the parochial schools there, moved out back to Southern California, and the last two were born here in uh, Southern California, where I am right now. And um, so we were involved with sports, which was great. I mean, my mom came from a big family, and my dad, uh, because he played a lot of different sports, but basketball was the main sport, it was great for a big family to uh, go outside and compete, whether we were playing, um, I don't know, hide-and-seek or kick the can or basketball or hitting balls at each other and playing over the line or uh, even being competitive with cards or board games and uh yeah, there was always something going on. Wow, your family had a basketball team of your own, huh? <laughs> well, we never had a basket at our courts. We always either had to ride our bikes or uh, or walk down to the, the local elementary school and, and play hoops down there. So uh, it was even better exercise. You had to make it work. So in the 1960s and into the early 70s, did anyone try to convince you specifically not to spend so much time in sports or or maybe, you know, do something else, maybe for a female? The biggest thing is that growing up in the 50s and 60s, that we had parents because we are, we're a big family and we were involved with sports, that it was encouraged within the family. And the oldest in the family was my sister, Patty, who was probably the best athlete. She was eight years older than I was. And so I know that a lot of people will say that I'm a pioneer, I think I came along at the right time where uh, the media was just starting. 
and it gave me a lot of coverage because of my brother David, who was two years older than I was, who went to UCLA and so forth. But Patty really was uh, the forefront for me, uh, and uh, she broke down a lot more barriers than I did. But to see her go out and compete and that it was okay for in a, within our family uh, that our parents accepted the, the, their daughters playing sports like they did their sons was a positive. And uh, so we didn't really think anything differently. Uh, it's like when we went to school is where uh, certainly socially, uh, I think, ideas change where people thought, well, you need to be more ladylike and girls aren't supposed to play sports. And I was a little confused because I grew up thinking that, yeah, it's okay to play sports, whether didn't matter what your gender was and uh, or what your race or religion or whatever. Um, we were encouraged to do what we loved, and, and I love sports. I played seven different sports in high school, and when I was younger, it, the only organized sport for young girls was track and field and swimming, and I had a sister that swam, uh, Kathy, who was older than I was, but um, I didn't enjoy swimming that much, and uh, I was very competitive, and uh, track and field was a great release for me. And uh, I read a book in fourth grade on Babe Pedrickson Zaharias, and it gave me a dream. It gave me a dream to be an Olympian, and I wanted to do it in track and field. Um, as I got older, I, even though I still continued to do track and field, I did a lot of other sports, and uh, my dream came true in basketball. In 1976 was the very first year they had women's basketball in the Olympics, and uh, I was on that team, and... Um, you know, things kind of changed through junior high and high school and college. And uh, so, um, but, uh, you know, to be discouraged playing sports, I mean, I loved it. I loved it. I'm sure that there were people that didn't think it was proper, but uh, I never saw that. And let me pick up on that, uh, uh, because in the very early 1970s, it was apparent that you were going to be special in the field of basketball. Um, you have... Uh, I think two high schools you went to, one that didn't have as much of a level of competition that you were looking for. And then the other piece of that, of course, is is David. Um, and I don't want it to be unsaid or to go unsaid that I know tomorrow, I believe, or very, very soon is the anniversary of David's right. passing in 2015. He was an incredible person. I met him a couple times at UCLA. Um, but with his accomplishment in basketball paralleling yours, plus Title IX passing in, I think, 1972. That must have changed the dynamic for you. Can you talk a little about uh, your competition with David and your growing expertise in the field of basketball? Yeah, I just believe that I've just been in the right place at the right time. And as I said, my sister Patty opened up a lot of doors for me. And my brothers, Tom and Mark, uh, played football, basketball. I mean, they were really good athletes. And you know, being from a family of 11, um, yes, I have achieved an awful lot through sports, but so have a lot of my brothers and sisters. And so you could never get a big head. I mean, if you came home from a race and won a trophy, it's like big deal. There were three or four other siblings that <laughs> had competed in, in, in a game or something like that. So, you know, my parents had to distribute their attention to a lot of different personalities. Again, reading this book on Bay Dijerson, I went to six different elementary schools because we moved a lot, um, not only from Southern California to Chicago. We lived in Philadelphia a little bit, back to Chicago, back to Southern California. 
And uh, so I was very introverted. I was very shy. I was between two brothers, my brother David and my brother Jeff, two years apart on each. And uh, so, I, I mean, I idolized David. I idolized my sister Patty and my other two big brothers and my other sister. So it, w- it was tough growing up in our family because it was almost like you had to uh, kind of to get attention, you had to compete with your brothers and sisters. And uh, so when I got to high school, I was Dave Meyer's little sister, and I struggled with that, even though I adored him. And so that's why I transferred. Uh, I went to Sonora High School, and then my sophomore year went to an all-girls Catholic school, uh, Conley High School in Anaheim, which my sister Patty was teaching at, and uh, also coaching volleyball. We had a different uh, coach uh, that coached basketball. I just was so insecure and just trying to find myself um, through going from junior high to high school. And as I said, I went to six different elementary schools. And uh, when we were in Chicago, I got held back because I just couldn't adjust. Uh, so my parents just felt with all the moving around that uh, I needed a little bit more time to adjust. But even then, uh, getting into high school, I was still very insecure and, and very shy. But uh, watching my brother David play, there was nothing better. Watching my, brother, my brothers Tom and Mark play, there was nothing better. My sister Patty going to watch her play softball or basketball or volleyball. I loved watching them compete. So in high school, um, I played seven different sports, as I said, because I transferred back to Sonora High School. And I was the first high school player to uh, make a USA national team in basketball. Again, the timing. And then uh, in 74, Title IX is passed, and I'm still in high school. And uh, who knew that I would get an athletic scholarship uh, to UCLA? My brother David was at UCLA, and he and Kenny Washington, who was the coach of the women's team, came home one weekend and basically said, how would you like to go to UCLA and play basketball? And that's how my scholarship and how I was recruited. (laughs) We're going to take a break, and when we come back, Ann Myers-Drysdale reaches the national stage. Thinking about a new or used car? Think Infinity of Thousand Oaks. We've been serving Thousand Oaks in Southern California for years. We have new, used, and certified pre-owned Infinity vehicles available now with many special offers. There's something for everyone. Infinity of Thousand Oaks is your home for the best deals on Infinity cars. With the COVID pandemic, we offer contactless sales. Call our sales office at 805-262-7442 or visit infinityofthousandoaks.com. Pick out a vehicle and we'll deliver it to your home or office with all the paperwork done with the power of the internet. Our award-winning sales and service team is waiting to give you the best service in buying a vehicle you've ever had. Call us today at 805-262-7442 and make an appointment for your new 2020 Infinity or visit our website at infinityofthousandoaks.com. Life Coaching for Athletes is here to help. Coach Lucy is a certified life coach focused on working with athlete-minded people in finding and pursuing success in life outside of sports. She serves as an accountability partner and offers different perspectives when her clients are facing big challenges and decisions. Follow Resiliency on Instagram at Resiliency, that's R-E-S-I-L-I-E-N-T-S-E-E underscore coaching for more information. As a co-host of After the Glory, Coach Lucy is excited to share her expertise in working with athletes and looks forward to connecting with all you listeners to learn more of your stories as well. Welcome to After the Glory on Podclips. Here's Lucy and Gary. And we're back with Ann Myers-Drysdale. And as we 
alluded to, you were the first woman to accept a four-year athletic scholarship at the collegiate level. Can you tell us more about that? What was life at UCLA like? Well, it was special. Obviously, we had gone to a lot of UCLA uh, games and been on campus because my brother David uh, played basketball for Coach John Wooden, and I call him Papa. And my sister Kathy also went to UCLA. And so we'd been up there, and, and we'd go up there for games while I was in high school. And it was a special place. I really had no idea where I was going to go to college, uh, but when the scholarship was offered and the opportunity to go to a university like that, and coming from a family of 11 children, my parents really didn't have a lot of money to pay for college education. So, I mean, it was uh, an unbelievable opportunity and uh, a blessing in disguise. My freshman year, um, I, I played basketball but also ran on the track team. And uh, it was 1975, and my brother David was a senior, and it was Coach Wooden's last year, and it was the last time he won a championship. And uh, so it was really a special year. Uh, we did not make the playoffs, the women's team and uh, we did not make it the next two years. Uh, so it was very discouraging, very upsetting, but uh, also my sophomore year is when we went to the Olympics in 1976, and we won silver. Uh, first time women's basketball was in the Olympics. The Soviet Union won gold, but um, we were on the stage. We were on the, the national stage being the first time women's basketball in the Olympics. And uh, But UCLA was a special time, and then uh, when we got back from the Olympics, I also played on the volleyball team at UCLA. And uh, But my senior year 1978 we won the national championship and uh, Billy Moore who had coached my sister Patty at Cal State Fullerton won a championship and then came to UCLA and uh, we won a championship so um, you know a lot of names and coaches and and people all tied into different places and um, but it certainly was a special time being at UCLA and really helped shape who I was uh, being exposed to not only my brother being there and my sister but um, you know, Coach Wooden and all the different coaches that I had uh, and all the, the players that I played with, um, you know, it was a special time that I grew up in. I want to follow up on that aspect. And again, from my perspective, I think one of the, one of the great shames of, of our nation is the way we have treated or not treated fairly uh, the woman athlete over time, the lack of professional leagues, and, and you were a big pioneer in that. As you're uh, at UCLA, and of course, it's a theme of this show uh, that the elite athlete is on that stage for such a short time and they have their entire life ahead of them. Um, as a woman athlete, you can't be thinking about a long profession for many, many years on the court. There just weren't all that many opportunities uh, on the horizon. How did you think about your time in college from the standpoint of your future? Was education just more important, getting your degree more important than, let's say, uh, some of the other athletes who could look at professional careers? I never really looked at seeing what my future was going to be. It's the same thing when I was in, in uh, elementary school to high school, junior high to high school, and uh, I just competed. I played. I had opportunities, and, and I took it. My parents uh, afforded me opportunities, too. When I was in fifth and sixth grade, uh, they opened up a boys' basketball team on the elementary school, and my parents had to get everything okay through the school district, the teachers, the principal, and so forth for me to play. So I was always playing. I never thought about what my future was going to be. Uh, certainly seeing the Olympics on TV and seeing Wilma Rudolph and Wyoming Atias, uh, those were unbelievable role models. And then to see Billie Jean King to play against Bobby Riggs, uh, being from Southern California. And then the Women's Sports Foundation started in 1974. So that was right as I was coming out of high school into college. So I was embraced by the Women's Sports Foundation. 
And that was huge as, as far as also with the uh, Title IX passing. And so I just kind of fell into place. Did I know that I was going to play basketball after college? I didn't even look at it that way. The fact that the Olympics even popped up for me. I was the number one draft pick in the WBL, which started right my senior year in college. Uh, I was asked to try out in the NBA. My brother David was already playing in the NBA with the Bucks, and uh, and now I somebody's asked me to try out for the NBA with the Indiana Pacers, and then I wanted to go to the 1980 Olympics. So all these things kind of fell into place. I didn't know whether I would quote, play basketball for the next 10, 15 years. I just knew that uh, I loved to play. I loved to compete. There was always something out there for me. And uh, I don't know, the journey has just been unbelievable, and I've been blessed in so many ways that the door has always opened up. Wow, Annie, can you please just expand a little more on what approaching pro was like as a pioneer for women's sports? I I, I hear you talk about this in, with such deep emotion, and it's been a few years, but you talk about it like it just happened. It must have had a great impact for you personally, but also all of the female athletes who have come after you. Tell us more about that, approaching a, a whole new world of sports. Well, I go back to my sister, Patty. She played pro softball. So I knew that women were playing pro sports. I knew that in reading the book on Babe Dietrich and Zaharias and watching tennis and watching golf, and uh, so there were women out there competing. Uh, as far as basketball, we didn't get to see that on a national level. Uh, so we saw uh, an NBA game once a week, you know, whether it was the Celtics or the Sixers or the Lakers uh, or the Bulls, you know, it was just, and then you'd go out to the playground and practice those, whether it was Bill Russell and John Havlicek or Jerry West or Oscar Robertson, and that you would go out and practice those moves that those guys had. Uh, it's unfortunate today, which I love that the WNBA is going on 25 years, and we've had this pro league, and we've had other pro leagues before that. But when I hear young girls say, well, I don't watch the WNBA, I watch the NBA, and I watch LeBron, and I watch you know, uh, Curry, and I watch uh, Simmons or whoever, and, or Devin Booker, and you're like, going, okay, who's your favorite WNBA player? Well, I, they don't watch Diana Trossi or Sue Bird or Brianna Stewart or Candace Parker or... Uh, John Quill Jones or Dewana Bonner and there's so many great athletes uh, in basketball that have played and yet these young girls still continue to look at, at men play and now we have you know you can watch a college, men's college game and, and 300 and something you know days a week and you can watch like five college basketball games in one night every night seven days a week and uh, but yet the women's game is still whether it's basketball or volleyball or gymnastics or tennis or track and field uh, water polo, you know, are those sports on as much? Uh, 1979, when I tried out for the Pacers, was the very first year of ESPN. And ESPN has changed the, the whole world as far as how we see sports. They put women's sports on, but it's very, very limited. Um, and it's still very frustrating to see that uh, sports editors uh, and sports, um, uh, as far as newspapers and local TV ed- uh, sports casters, do not talk about the women's games or women athletes as much as they do in the men's sports. And so it's a matter of these women athletes today that still have to, you know, go out and promote themselves. And social media has really changed a lot for the the game, too, which has helped promote women in sports. When we come back with Ann Myers-Drysdale on After the Glory, uh, we will talk more about the immediate uh, post-competition career and being the quite modest in 
not noting that she was actually the first woman in NBA history to sign a $50,000 no-cut contract with the Indiana Pacers. She has set the trail for so many that followed. When we come back, Ann Myers-Drysdale. Hello, this is Dean, third-generation owner of Sarah Leonard Fine Jewelers. We are located near UCLA in the heart of Westwood Village, where we have been since 1946. For 74 years, my family has stood for the highest standards of knowledge and integrity and are proud members of the prestigious American Gem Society. But it is our personal touch that truly makes us a cut above. Client relationships last for decades and generations. With six UCLA alumni, the family has supported UCLA for decades, including the famous Sarah Leonard Jewelers Watch Giveaway. For diamonds and colored gems, designer collections and estate jewelry, watches, custom design, and gorgeous gifts starting under $100, it's all here at Sarah Leonard Fine Jewelers. Mention the code GLORY and get 20% off your first purchase, plus a 10% UCLA discount on all future purchases. Call 310-208-3131 today for your appointment or visit us at sarahleonardjewelers.com. Free parking available. Again, call 310-208-3131, use the code GLORY and experience the Sarah Leonard difference for yourself. Since 1980, Woodland Hills lawyer Gary Stern has been known as a lawyer's lawyer passionate about his clients and equally passionate about bringing honor, dignity, and respect to the legal profession. Gary Stern represents folks seriously injured because of healthcare negligence, defective and dangerous products and property, neglect in long-term care facilities, and careless operation of cars and trucks. He has successfully resolved hundreds of cases for his clients, providing them with the financial help they needed during trying times. Gary Stern is a member of the prestigious National Trial Lawyers Top 100, active with consumer attorneys of Los Angeles and California, and is admitted to the bar of the Supreme Court of the United States. And most important, I am proud to call him dad. You can reach Gary Stern at 818-710-2717 or visit his website at www.sternlaw.org. Welcome to After the Glory on Pod Clips. Here's Lucy and Gary. And we're back with Ann Myers Drysdale. And the time in the pro game with the precursor to the WNBA was relatively uh, short. What were the factors in which went into, and obviously your international play in the Pan American Games and other places, including the Olympics, was an incredible uh, supplement to the pro game. But what uh, was the, were the factors that led you to um, retire from active play? Well, first of all, let me say that I really believe that uh, me going to UCLA not only gave women basketball, but myself the exposure it needed, because being at UCLA with John Wooden and winning championships and my brother David there, it was a human interest story. So the media really took off on it. If I go anywhere else, and if I do play basketball, I don't, and women's basketball does not get the media attention that it did. And uh, so in 1978, when I graduated, for, well, I hadn't graduated. I needed uh, two extra quarters to graduate. And I wanted to go to the 1980 Olympics, which you had to be an amateur. But yet they had started the new WBL, the Women's Professional Players uh, League. And I was the number one draft pick. And I did not go into it because I wanted to stay amateur for the 80 Olympics. And I wanted to get my degree which I played USA Basketball. We came back, and I got a call from Sam Nassie of the Indiana Pacers. He was a new owner and wanted to create, you know, a buzz, obviously, with his organization, asked me to try out. My brother David was always already playing in the NBA. He was the number one draft pick with the Lakers, 
was in the trade that he went to Milwaukee that brought Kareem to L.A. And uh, and I knew a lot of people, a lot of guys that were playing in the NBA. And uh, so being the number one draft pick, as much as I wanted to play in the WBL, I thought, I can wait a year, it's going to be there. So I waited a year, and then all of a sudden I get this call to try out, and I thought, what an opportunity of a lifetime. And so I trained with my brother Jeff and uh, did some other drills and with other people and uh, to get ready for the tryout. And uh, I know Bob Leonard was the coach of the Pacers at the time, and he was not happy about it. A lot of people weren't happy about a woman trying out in the NBA. She's not good enough. She's, what are they doing? They're taking a job from a guy. Uh, she's too slow. She's too small. She can't do this, can't do that. And I just looked at it because of the way I grew up as an opportunity of a lifetime. In high school, I had an opportunity to play on the boys' uh, basketball team during the summer league. And I thought that I'd play on the boys' team my senior year, and it didn't happen. And, uh, and that's when I played USA basketball. And I just look at things as an opportunity. Sometimes things come around. And, uh, and that prepared me that I was not going to let people talk me out of this. Um, and I went to the tryout. It was a three-day tryout. We had two practices a day. I had hoped to go on. I thought that I had fulfilled a lot of the uh, requirements. Uh, Jack McCloskey was one of the assistants who had become the general manager of the Pistons when they won the championship. But he said, fundamentally, I was better than half the guys out there. And certainly that it. It was from the teachings of UCLA fundamentals. But it was a great experience. I did not make it as a player. It was uh, disappointing, heartbreaking, but I was with the organization and uh, did communications and marketing and, and PR and got me into broadcasting. I started broadcasting, but I wanted to play, so I left the Indiana Pacers and went to the WBL, and uh, the Houston Angels had been uh, had drafted me, and they traded my rights to the New Jersey Gems, and I went to play for the New Jersey Gems in that second year of the league and was uh, co-MVP. And um, and then the league folded a year later. So it was it was essentially the league folding that uh, sort of imposed competition retirement on you. Yeah, that's a good question. That, that as far as basketball was concerned, but um, I had been asked when I was with the Pacers to compete in something called the Women's Superstars, which was a made-for-TV oh, I remember uh, that sporting event. <laughs> and uh, so when I went to the the New Jersey Gems. I had committed to compete in the Women's Superstars, which was down in the Bahamas. And it was a two-day event, and obviously I played seven sports, and you got all these different sports that you're competing in. But um, I had been playing basketball and indoors, and uh, when you're out in the suns in the Bahamas uh, for two days, it's a little different. But um, I went down there, and uh, ABC was the, uh, the network, and I ended up finishing fourth. And I was so upset. Uh, that for the next three years I competed and uh, trained and competed and won it three years in a row and also the only woman to compete in the men's superstars, which they invited me to. But that first superstars um, is where I met Don. He and Bob Yupa were the announcers, and my mom was with me, and my mom is from Milwaukee, and Bob Yupa was the announcer for the Milwaukee Brewers, and, and Don, I had no idea who he was, and, uh, but that's where I met my future husband. You know, the remarkable thing about, of course, as I may have mentioned to you in a couple of times we've met in the past, is six-time fantasy camp attendee, and from day one, number 53, Don Drysdale's number has always been my number. I grew up in the Valley, as as did Don. Um, and I want to ask you, uh, and I, I, I don't want this to be a downer in any way, um, but I want it to be an inspiration. You've had your share of loss in your life. We, we know, of course, of the tragedy of Don's passing in 1993, 
and, and then David, with a large family and the people who have influenced you, like John Wooden, has that been a key component for dealing with loss, if, if you will? Well, first of all, I love the story that you're such a Don Drysdale fan and you've got to wear this number all the time. Uh, I think sports really does prepare you, and certainly, again, the family that I grew up in, um, uh, faith is very important. Uh, I grew up in the Catholic Church, and uh, certainly my mom is uh, a very strong Catholic and uh, will be 95 in December. My dad passed away in 2000, but he had left my mom after uh, 30 years of marriage and 11 children and uh, five was still at home, so I saw my mom go through a lot. And uh, and then in 83, we lost uh, our sister Kelly in a car accident. Mm-hmm. Um, we lost our brother Tom in 99. Uh, we lost David, and then we lost my sister Patty. And uh, so uh, certainly losing my, uh, my husband, Don, in 93, and uh, I've had several miscarriages. You know, that's part of life, and uh, adversity and, and loss and uh you know, I have I have a lot of great days. I really do, and there are days where are very tough for me. Where you know I still miss him tremendously. But I, the, my strength really comes from my mom and my faith. Uh, I always say, family, faith, and friends get you through a lot, um, and it's not always easy. You know, there, there's some tough days sometimes, but I, I think how blessed I have been in my life in so many ways with uh, three beautiful children that Donna's left me with, and. Uh, and watching their lives growing and, and seeing them become young adults and, and continuing to be in broadcasting and be a part of a game that I love, uh, working for the Phoenix Suns and the Mercury and first there as a general manager and uh, for the Mercury and winning championships and now broadcasting for both teams and continuing to stay part of a, a game that's just really changed my life and has been so special. And I am just so impressed with, you know, the perspective that you're sharing with us. And after this break, we will talk about the last item specifically to our podcast. What is the advice that you'd have for women athletes today when it comes to how they prepare for life after the glory? Have you ever wanted to experience the thrill of playing spring training baseball with some of the game's legends? At LED ABC, we believe you should be able to live your dream of being a pro baseball player, and now you can. The LED ABC Adult Baseball Camp is an independently owned and operated fantasy camp for men and women over the age of 30. As an independent camp, you can be a fan of any team from any city and you'll feel right at home with us. Our next camp is scheduled for November 7th through the 13th, 2021, and will be held at the historic Dodgertown Complex in Vero Beach, Florida, now known as the Jackie Robinson Training Complex. You'll play ball all week long on the best practice fields in the nation. You'll enjoy use of -of state-of-the-art facilities, and you'll be pampered and cared for just like a major leaguer. We invite you to visit our website and sign up for our November 2021 camp. Just go to www.ladabc.com. That's ladabc.com. Welcome to After the Glory on Podclips. Here's Lucy and Gary. And as we close out this episode on After the Glory, Ann Myers Drysdale is here to tell us what piece of advice, one last comment that you'd like to give for women athletes all over the world today who look up to you as a role model. How do they prepare for life after the glory? Well, first of all, don't say what if. You know, I would have, should have, could have. If somebody gives you a chance to do something, go ahead and take it. If you fail, that's okay. That's the only way you learn. Uh, one thing that Don always used to say is, you're only as good as yesterday's paper. So, you know, what you do today, and, and Coach Wood and Papa used to say, you know, live each day as your masterpiece. 
So what you do today is what you do. You can't, you know, whatever happened behind you is past, and uh, whatever's going to happen before you, you don't know. So live each day today. Like Don said, you're only as good as yesterday's paper, which means that you've got to move on. Yes, you know, sports can give you great success and great, give you great happiness. It gives you great sorrow, too. But uh, once you're, it's a small part of your life, whether you can compete for 10 years or 15 years or even if some are fortunate enough to compete in something for 20 years, it's, it's incredible. But what are you going to do after that? And that's where you have to find your happiness, and that's where, you know, meeting people. Relationships are very, very important, I think. And, uh, and not to get something, but just to create relationships, and, because you never know where they're going to lead either. But I think uh, you take every day at, at a time and enjoy what you're doing and do it to the best of your ability. And even if there's injuries or people say you can't do it or if you get cut from a team and you get fired, there's always another day. You know, you're going to wake up and, and you've got to have uh, a positive attitude. There's no question uh, because there's always something out there for you. It may take you a while to find it. I know that I saw that in my brother David when he played in the NBA and he retired and it was he struggled. He struggled to find out who he was and and what he was going to do. And he finally did, becoming a, an elementary school teacher, which he was an unbelievable teacher. It's, it's hard, even now for women, because you have professional sports, that a lot of women are struggling, what am I going to do after I'm done playing ball? I thought that that was the one great advantage, that being a woman as an athlete, that we didn't have so many uh, avenues to go into uh, professional sports. And so an education was important. And I still think an education is important. But there's always something out there for you, even after you play and, uh, and compete, because uh, it's a, you're going to meet a lot of people that will make a difference in your life. And ladies and gentlemen, I would say that I could not have said it better in a word. After the glory, don't stop chasing your dreams. This is Gary Stern, Lucy Sang, and we thank Ann Myers Drysdale for an inspiring half hour or so. And we'll see you next time. Take care.